Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another stunning, beautiful, awesome, amazing of the Selby is Godcast, courtesy of the Athletic Cleveland. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. And that wind you hear in the background is actually Edwin Encarnacion still trying to catch his breath. <laughs> you know, when we talked to him last night after the game, he was still sweating. And we waited in the clubhouse for him for a good 15 minutes. And obviously, he wasn't still like huffing and puffing and and completely out of breath from his inside the park home run three and a half hours earlier. But it was just funny that he had like sweat dripping down his face and he was, it seemed like he was legitimately still exhausted. And like, I, I, you know, it's funny because like guys have doubles and triples all the time and they're not gasping for air and, and uh, sucking wind hours after the fact, but this guy, had to go an extra 90 feet, and it was like he had just run a marathon. Well, it kind of was reminiscent of every trip to Panda Express when you decide to go with the bigger plate, which is the <laughs> three entrees. And, you know, you can usually fly through the first two, no problem. You know, the orange chicken, orange chicken and broccoli beef go down just fine. But then you start making your way to that third one and that little separate box that they gave you. And you need that second wind. And by, I tell you, you get about halfway through that meal and you're pretty winded. So I, I feel like I can relate to Edwin as he was coming around third base. And it was, it, it was so improbable, of course, and something you're never expecting to see. And I, I would imagine it was the same thought for Edwin as he, he picks the ball up, he sees the ball kick off the left field wall, Justin Upton, not a, aware of it. At one point, he's leaning into the stands, looked like he's smelling the armpit of the fan there, not showing any sense of urgency to go get the ball. And to Edwin's credit, he kicked it into gear. And I can't even imagine what four-letter words were going through his mind when he looked up and saw Sarvi, Mike Sarbaugh, giving him the go sign as he came around third base. Incredible last night. That was that was enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it was. I think everyone in the stadium just assumed that there was going to be a replay and it was going to be ruled foul or just be ruled like a regular home run or something. Because, especially, I mean, you wrote like Justin Upton gave a pretty leisurely effort uh, when he finally decided to go get the ball and throw it in. And um, it was, it was strange. It was. <laughs> It was so different than Tyler Naquin's, um, and obviously it was the second inning, and the game wasn't on the line. Uh, but man, it, it's four games into the season, and it's like, okay, well, that's your reminder: is you never know what you're going to see, especially, you know, what time did that happen on the East Coast? Like uh, eleven or so. Like, yeah, you, you stay up late hoping that you you see something you've never seen before, and there you go. Yeah, it seems like you're always getting that. And for the Indians, 
all of those things happen in spring training when they weren't televised. And of course it would happen at an Encarnacion and inside the Parker takes place on the West coast with many people probably in bed, but we had triple plays in spring training. We had Eric Hostin and inside the Parker that was aided by a, a ricochet off the wall. Let's see. What else did you have? You had the Rob ref Snyder hole in one into the center field camera. Well, which is, barely even bigger than the ball itself all these things happen when they weren't televised so if you want to see something amazing don't watch the indians and you can be yeah and it it happened in the second inning of the angels home opener and they're all excited about otani and mike trout and and the possibility of actually contending this year with some other offseason additions and four batters into the game or five batters into the game, they were just silenced and stunned. And <laughs> well, this is going to be a long year. If, if that's how this thing starts at our home ballpark. Um, and I feel like Indians fans have been there many times watching then Fausto Carmona give up like eight, nine runs <laughs> watching a 14, 11 game or something to that effect. That was uh, my first ever Indians game I covered. <laughs> And that was a hell of a day. What was that, the White Sox that they played that night? It was the White Sox. It was about afternoon. 35 degrees. They were down 14 nothing in the fourth inning and then ended up losing 15-10. to 10. Yeah. What a, what a day and what a season and what a time. What an era of Indians baseball. Uh, we'll talk about some of our favorite home opener and opening day memories coming up because obviously that's coming up for the Indians maybe on Friday if, if weather is permitting and it doesn't look good. I know you know that you're out in Anaheim right now and, and you're enjoying what is some nice weather, but of course, major league baseball decided to give the Indians some of their longest home stands of the season in April, give them 17 home games. I'm still trying to get to the bottom of why that is the case. Uh, but we know that weather is probably going to play a major factor in it, but that also usually leads to some, some pretty unique memories. So we'll get into that coming up. But Zach, you know, you mentioned you were four games into the season now as we record this and you're already seeing things you don't expect to see. And if you were irresponsible as a baseball fan or or us covering it, our, our analysis, if we were irresponsible, we'd look at things in a four game sample size and start to draw conclusions. And we're not irresponsible, but sometimes it's kind of fun to be irresponsible. Right. Don't you every once in a while want to get a little crazy? Sure. Seems like it based on my Twitter mentions. So, you know, I thought it would be sort of a fun exercise to look at some of the things we've seen in the first four games of the season and not so much debate whether or not they're real because, God, none of us can really know based on four games. But let's talk about whether or not if they were real, what would that mean for for the team? And again, this is something that's completely fun. We're not being serious. We don't expect Jose Ramirez to hit. 130 this year but but Zach if he were to struggle what would that mean to the offense he's hitting zero his OPS (laughs) is 118 uh he is zero lost helmets which is probably the most alarming statistic of them all Uh, he he, guys get to their levels guys get to their levels yeah and you trust that he would too Uh, it's the offense as a whole has been pretty putrid I mean outside of Encarnacion and Yonder Alonso it no one has done anything. And so you could look at that and say, well, you know that they're not going to have a team batting average of 191 this year. So 
if they can go two and two while hitting 191, just imagine what they can do when they hit 250 as a team. Um, so we could look at it that way. Uh, it's, I'll say first impressions of Yonder Alonso have been off the charts. The fact that he hit a grand slam off the, off a left-hander was certainly encouraging. And, and I wouldn't get too carried away with that. I don't think he's going to just crush lefties after a lengthy history of struggling against them, but it's encouraging to see that, and, and I think people who thought that the Indians were going to be up a creek without Carlos Santana, maybe after four games, if we want to overreact, think that uh, maybe they found a good replacement for him. So that's been encouraging. He seems, I mean, he, if he gets a fastball from a right-handed pitcher, it seems like like he, he's guaranteed extra bases. And, and so it's been, especially with the way Francona structured the lineup with Encarnacion hitting behind him against righties. It's certainly worked so far. Um, and so if, if he keeps hitting like that and Encarnacion keeps hitting three home runs every four games, I think the Indians are going to win like 130, 140 games. Does, how many inside the park home runs is he on pace for? That's 40, right? <laughs> more important. Yeah, sure. Uh, that would be a hell of a season. It's probably some sort of record. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I agree with you about Alonzo. And someone sent me a, I think it was a tweet, or maybe it was in one of our, our comments on an article or, or something. But someone said, doesn't when he swings the bat and he gets a hold of one and hits it, he it looks like he hits the most majestic drives you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. And it, and I responded, it makes you wonder what in the hell he was doing earlier in his career when he just <laughs> wasn't taking advantage of the fact that damn, man, you are a big, powerful, strong man. You should be trying to hit the ballpark or have ball out of the ballpark every time you're up. And I know that's kind of sort of a launch angle acknowledgement, and I promise I'm going to keep those to a minimum. But uh, what, what was he doing? Why wasn't he taking advantage of the fact that it looks like he can do anywhere in the zone and especially anywhere that's in his nitro zone? Well, it's, it's almost like I wonder, has Yandy Diaz ever looked in a mirror like, maybe he doesn't know that he has these bulging biceps. Do you think he has one of those funhouse mirrors where it makes you look skinnier than you actually are? So it's actually, could... he's, he's actually been tricked into thinking that he's not a big, strong guy? I mean, what if Yandy Diaz had a swing like, I don't know, who had, like, like Griffey or David Justice? David Justice had the smoothest swing. Um, and he could just just pulverize balls or, or what if he was like like albert bell it can just crush it and and uh throw the bat away and do a little uh little hop at home plate uh so yeah i mean i mean alonzo it's it's I, it's so hard anything i want to say i'm just gonna say caveat it's been four games but you wanted to see evidence early that he could replicate what he did in the first half last year and through 17 plate appearances, he has been able to do that. And more importantly for the Indians is they're going to, the, you know, as any lineup is, it, it's a work in progress. And so they're going to get Michael Brantley back at some point here, and he's going to slot in, especially against lefties. He'll probably slot in right before Alonzo, where that Rajay Davis spot is in the lineup hitting fifth against lefties and he'll probably slot in somewhere against righties in the middle there too. So until that happens though, your lineup is a little top heavy and at the bottom with Naquin and, and uh, the catcher and, and Zimmer, you can run into some, 
the pitcher that that's where the pitcher is is hoping to to breeze past the Indians lineup. So it's important that they do produce, especially with Jose Ramirez struggling and, and Francisco Lindor is kind of off to a slow start too. It, it's critical that those those guys in the middle, like Alonso and Encarnacion, do provide some power, and and that's exactly what they've done with what five home runs in the last three days. I also think there's an element of selfishness on on our part. We've gone through this where they've brought in a player who has struggled and you have to talk people off the ledge. It, it, and it, they, it might end up being, you know, that for every successful guy that they brought in, there's a Casey Kochman there, probably about three of them, that you could say, well, that one didn't really turn out. But you, no matter what, what the outcome is, you need more than four games to make any sort of, of a, form any sort of opinion one way or another. Um, and I don't think either one of us is claiming that Alonzo is going to lead the league in home runs and OPS this year and put up a 150 WRC plus. And I don't, I don't think that's what we're saying based just on four games. But I think selfishly, it's nice just to see guys at least establish themselves so we don't have to harp on those those really tired storylines at the beginning right. of the season where guys are off to slow starts. And then we have to ask about them and Deep down, we know it's there's probably not a lot to it, and we understand that if this were a four-game stretch that happened in July, no one gives a, a shit if Jose Ramirez doesn't have a hit, but because it happens at the beginning of the season, it stands out, and then we have to ask these stupid questions. I think it's just kind of nice to get everybody established in doing what they have been doing so we, so we can move past those those stupid questions that we have to ask, but they're so tired, and I hate asking them. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why Francona went back to Tyler Olsen and Nick Goody, what, yesterday. Um, after Olsen had struggled the day before giving up that uh, two-run homer, and, and that's why he got Belial and Eric Gonzalez into the game. He wanted to get everybody, just get your feet wet, get get that first one out of the way. Or if you struggled in your first one, get that in the rearview mirror too. So I'm with you. And it seems like Tyler Naquin has turned into the – the, the new punching bag, yeah. the new Brian Shaw. And it's like, look, he even knows that once Michael Brantley comes back, he's probably the guy that's that's going to be shipped out of here and go to Columbus. So it, it's temporary and it's early. And the fact that, I mean, we had people hounding us in, in game one of 162 it, in March, like before April Fool's Day, before the final four had happened. We're, we're complaining about the lineup and, and guys who are in, and it's like, relax take a deep breath this thing is a marathon and you're griping about the first few steps of the first lap so it's anything that has happened so far I mean and look at Mark Reynolds is is just the quintessential example he even told us after he got off to that super hot start in 2013 that at some point during the season we were going to be pestering him asking him why he was 0 for his last 30 and couldn't make contact that's exactly what happened, and he didn't even make it through August. So stuff happens. It's a long season, and it's this this lineup that you see now is not the lineup that they're going to have in June, July, August, September, or October. And it's just it's, it happens every single year. So you don't want to get too caught up into someone going 0 for 4 or, or someone having one bad outing, and, and you don't want to overreact to the bullpen giving it up um, in their first attempt after – Brian Shaw left. I mean, it, it's it's so early, and it's just save yourself <laughs> the possibility of looking like a damn fool and just be patient. 
As far as overreactions go, we could go two separate ways as far as the rotation. And I'm not talking about Kluber. Kluber looked pretty much like Corey Kluber in the opener. Which, can I interrupt you? After the first inning, though, we had people saying, oh, he's in playoff form. It's like, okay, well, give it seven innings, and he's going (laughs) to end up throwing a gem. Like, I, I understand the fans' right to overreact and be emotional. That's what makes sports great. But just don't be surprised when you look stupid. That's all. And you and I are... Well, at least I'll speak for myself. We're usually pretty good at that. We don't need extra assistance. So getting on on that ledge before you're even supposed to, probably not smart. Um, But I was going to bring up Carrasco and Clevenger. And we'll leave Bauer out of this for a second. But Carrasco had the this thing happen at the end of spring where he'd look great in his first two, three, four innings sometimes. And then he'd get hit hit hard and then he'd be out of the game. And at that point, it kind of looked like a guy that was just in a in the doldrums at the end of spring training, get me the hell out of here. Much like many of us felt like then I get to his outing and he kind of saw some of the same things emerge, but he's also really good. And it's easy to give him some slack because he has been so great for the past few years. And then you look at Mike Clevenger and it's a bigger start for him because he's still looking to establish himself and he's still looking to prove that last year was no fluke and that, he wanted to go up there and, and shove against his former team. And so guys like that, it's probably more important from a confidence standpoint and just kind of feeling good about yourself. You get off to a great start. And I know he's really focused on 200 innings and being a workhorse and being in the rotation, taking on a full starters workload. And at 97 pitches in the sixth inning probably isn't where he wants to be, but that's the biggest and probably only gripe you could have about his most recent outing. And, and I think you saw plenty in that, debut against the the angels that it's not worth just looking at that and overreacting to that it was just a continuation of what we saw last year and what he carried over into spring training yeah you know he only walked two guys so that that was encouraging and i thought he had he had less traffic to maneuver around i think he just as, as the game went on it seemed like he got into deeper pitch counts with guys but i mean Go back to that first inning, and he blew Trout away with three straight fastballs. And it wasn't even like – like there was no getting creative with the sequencing or anything like that. It was like – it was good morning, good afternoon, good night. Like, here, try to hit this. And he couldn't. And, you know, he's always a guy who is emotional and trying to harness that and trying to channel his energy in the right way. And, and sometimes that has affected his mechanics, as we've both written – so far this season where in the past he falls behind and then he kind of panics and tries to overthrow or his mechanics get out of whack, something like that. And so he seemed last night like more of a pitcher and more of, I know how to calm myself down and figure this out. And yeah, I mean, you would have loved to see him go six or seven, but no one's going to complain about the effort he gave, especially because last year I thought, you know, that that line score would look more like five and a third, four hits, five walks, and it would just be – it would be so painful, and, and there was so much extra effort required to get around all of that traffic, and I don't think he had that last night. And so it's – you know, you, you talk to him, and it, it's so refreshing, and I feel like we've, we've gone to that well so much this spring because he's a good quote, but he's also just – oozing that confidence where he's like, 
give me the ball. I want to go out there and just absolutely shove it up their ass. <laughs> like, like, like he, you know, Kluber seems like that kind of like, um, like that quiet assassin. And Clevenger is that assassin who's like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aiming right at you. You're going to get it. Yeah. I mean, that's been Clevenger. It's, it's been refreshing to speak to him this year. Um, I mean, it started last year too, but remember when he first came up, he was, he was as anxious and nervous talking to reporters as he was on the mound. Like mm-hmm. he, his, his answers would all be four or five words because he would get choked up and couldn't breathe by the end of the sentence. So he just had to eject. Um, and that's not him, at least not, uh, not to this point at the beginning of the season, he's been really enjoyable to, to talk to. he, he certainly looks and feels like he belongs, which plays a role in this, no matter how much we just focus on what his slider looks like and you know what pitches he's using. But I think the fact that he was was getting ahead early, he showed the aggressiveness that he yeah, sometimes he admits loses and and I think that was really encouraging that he's throwing first pitch strikes. And I mean, we've both written about how important that is to not only every pitcher, but to him, especially he is so much better when he gets ahead with that first pitch strike. Um, and then he doesn't have to rely on a fastball. That's not that great. Although he did strike out trout with it last night. Uh, but when he can set up the hitter to, to use his change, his curve, and then his completely wipe out slider, um, then he's going to be in a, a so much better spot. So last night he gets 10 swings and misses. He gets the five strikeouts. There, and, and there was just a lot to like about the outing. And I think you kind of carry that over and you see if that continues moving forward. But there there certainly is a lot to like about this rotation. We knew that going in. And I think it's just encouraging to sort of see that right off right off the rip. And, and, and even Bauer, too, you throw him in. I know he wasn't exactly pleased with the way his slider, his new slider moved in, in his debut. But he pitched his way through a you know, kind of a gutty outing and still gave the team a chance to win. It wasn't his fault that they, they ended up losing that game. It was the bullpen that gave it up. So, I mean, first trip through the rotation, we'll see what happens with Tomlin tonight. But you have to feel pretty good about the, the four to five guys that you're sending out there on a nightly basis. And that's pretty much what we expected. And it's not a bad thing when you kind of see those expectations follow through the first trip through. Yeah, it, it's – you know, Bauer, to me, pitched like Clevenger last year. And I think, you you know, you, you make a good point. It's the first start of the year, so no one's going to throw 115 pitches. And, you know, even Kluber going 8-8, eight, eight, it was kind of surprising because it was like, are they really just not going to use the bullpen in this first game? And then they have an off day. And then, like, maybe they don't need any relievers aside from Miller and Allen at all. So it's – it's interesting though because you you're gonna want to see these guys pitch deeper, and you're gonna want to make sure you're not relying on Otero, Goody, Olson, and McAllister every single night. And so, it, that's all. I mean, it, it's early and it, it's been the first trip through, but it's it's gonna be interesting to see if Clevenger can take the next step and make those 97 pitches last through seven. Can Bauer? be like he was in the second half last year and consistently pitch deep into games and, and Carrasco and Kluber have proven that they can do that. So it's, it's going to be interesting that uh, if they can, it, it just lightens the load um, on the bullpen and, and you don't need Nick Goody to make 80 appearances. And I think that could go a long way and make it so that they can be more creative and flexible 
with Miller and with Cody Allen and, and that that's what'll make this team really, really go and can that's what can get you in a groove. I mean, when they've gone on these they've ripped off these long winning streaks the last couple of years, it's been because the pitching is just so darn reliable and the starters are going so deep and you don't have to you don't have your starter going four and two thirds and then have to piece together the rest of the game. It's 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 just simple. It's clockwork. It's seven for the starter, Miller for one, Allen for one. Good night. Yeah, because if you're going to focus on, I mean, if we're staying with the overreactions part of this podcast, the bullpen, those the guys that aren't Miller and Allen still are alarming because they did give up a game in Seattle and in the finale. And Tyler Olson, you know, I wrote about in the offseason all the reasons why I think you can believe in what he did last year. Uh, but still, he's susceptible to making a bad pitch. And there are still some 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 worries some anxiety there about bridging together even games like last night where okay Clevenger leaves in the sixth then you have Olsen come in then you have Goody come in you have McAllister and you have Belial and I think still in the back of your mind because we haven't seen these guys go through this yet where where they're the guys taking over for mm-hmm. the innings that Brian Shaw would have gotten you're still wondering okay how does Tito piece together the rest of this game and, and maybe Belial will be an X factor and, you know, what we saw in spring, he'll be even better than that. And he can live up to what he was in the second half. And if he's that, then they're probably going to be just fine in the bullpen. But still, I think there's a difference between believing something can happen, happen having faith that they, they're going to be all right. And then just seeing that actually take place and them proving that they're ready and that they're, they're capable of handling those larger expectations because Zach McAllister has looked great. Um, and maybe he's ready to emerge into that spot. You know, Dan Otero had his moments last year. Where it got a little bit rough. And then of course he's had a rough go here in the, the beginning, giving up the home run uh, in Seattle, but still you just, you want to see them actually go do it and back up what your belief for or against them doing it. You know, you want to actually see something take place. Yeah, we just need a bigger sample size. Exactly. We need more than one appearance. We need more than because Otero. If if Tito would have pulled him after that first inning, we would have thought, well, there's your bridge to Allen and Miller this year. He looked great in that seventh inning, and then he comes back and gives up a home run to Mini Me, and so it's that influences your perception of of him and and what you think he can do. Even though he's had he's faced what four or five batters this year, so yeah. Um, it's it'll be nice to have tangible results. The problem is also, you know, you, you get back to Cleveland this week and <laughs> the next 10 games might be played basically in like an igloo. And so is it fair to, you know, judge Encarnacion if he doesn't hit a home run on that homestand because he can't feel his hands at the plate? I don't know. Well, if you can't do it in April, you won't be able to do it in October, dude. So suck it up and start hitting. Game seven of the World Series two years ago it was like 70 degrees. <laughs> this is true. A uh, little bit of a difference from the 97 World Series, which was played in uh, the tuck rule game conditions. Um, perfect segue to the final thing we'll talk about today. Home opener, of course, is a special thing to many people. And it's always you know, Cleveland been an event because you have everybody come out for game one. And by game two, the season has been forgotten probably be a little bit different last year or this year like it was last year and of course people are going to stick around i think for a little bit longer than the home opener um but it still creates some some pretty cool memories and it's cool to 
to kind of think back on those. Most of them are usually family related or friend related. Um, usually has very little to do with the game. In fact, I remember uh, my dad and I had opening home opener tickets. We were in the the upper deck behind home plate, which I think are very underrated seats, by the way. I think those are some of the best seats in the ballpark. If you're right behind home plate in the upper deck. But we sure. had tickets up there. And so I was at the time I was in college, I was going to Mount Union. And I had a religion class that was set to take a test that day. And I said, I went up to the professor and I said, listen, look, you know, I, I got these tickets with my dad for the home opener. Is there any way I can, I, I can move the test to a different day? You know, I'll take it early. I'll take it later. But, you know, what, can I have an excused absence? And he said, sure. You know what? That's fine. We'll set up a different time for you to take the test. Don't worry about coming in. I said, great. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And then the game got fogged out. <laughs> and, and so they reset the home opener. I think they had an off day the next day. They reset the home opener for the next day. And so my dad and I went, um, or whatever the timing of it was. But so I, I come back and I'm thinking, okay, cool. I'll be able to take this test that I had. My professor said, no, you had an excuse absence for the home opener on this day. But since it got moved to this day, I don't give you an excuse, excused absence. You missed the test. You failed it. All right, cool. Happy opening day, everybody. Oh, there's no happy ending? There is no happy ending. The happy ending is that I didn't get the good grade in religion and ended up in broadcasting and then as a journalist. So I think that was the turning point in my life. I could probably be living the millionaire life on a beach somewhere, but because I went to that opening day, I'm now stuck here talking to you. Um, geez. Well, mine isn't much uh, sunnier of a story. Um, I was also in college. This is the last, yeah, this is the last home opener I attended as a, as a fan. And, and I drove up from Columbus and they were playing the Blue Jays. This is 2009. And it's a crappy day. We, we go to the game. The Indians have – they took the lead. So I think they were up 3 nothing. And at some point there, there was a rain delay, which made sense. It was really ugly out. And this rain delay lasted – I'm pretty sure it lasted like four hours. And we stayed for like three hours and 45 minutes of that. And finally it was like I, I – you know, I, I'm not going to wait here any longer, especially if it's if it's – rained this long and and they've delayed it this long they're just going to cancel it so we left and i hopped in the car to go back to columbus and like right when i got in the car they restarted the game (laughs) and so i missed the rest of it the indians ended up losing 13 to 7 and this is a great segue to our random indian of the day segment can you guess who was the starting pitcher for the Indians that day? This is April 2009. Um, this pitcher, geez, he went undefeated as a major leaguer. 4-0. Oh, all with was the it, Was it uh, the kid that went to Ohio State, Scott? And that was, that was my, my next hint was, ironically, he went to the same college that I was attending at the time like why can't i remember his last name scott lewis scott lewis 
How about that? What an incredible finish he had to 2008. (laughs) What ended up happening? Didn't he have arm troubles and then that was it for him? Yeah. He, uh, in fact, that start on opening day 2009 was his last appearance in the majors. Wow. Well, the rain delay basically ruined his career. Well, it's good that we both have these pleasant stories from opening day to tell to really get people fired up for the home opener Friday, which will be so much fun. And hopefully we can avoid rain delays, fog delays, and perhaps even avoid a failed test in the the process. But I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to another fun season down the ballpark next to you, I think. And uh, it should be a lot of fun, I think. And press dining. And press dining. Should we t- should we gather tales throughout the year and tell them on this podcast tales from press dining? That would be like this. What genre would you put this podcast in? Like uh, sports, lighthearted. Like that would be horror. <laughs> yeah. What is the statute of limitations on things? that you can't be held accountable for anymore. Why? (laughs) I'm just, you know, there, there are times that uh, one of the, 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 what would you call, what would you call John in the press box? What is his title? Maybe a press box aide. Press box aide kind of guards the back door, make sure no one that's not supposed to be in there doesn't come in. Although I think he would just say hi to them and let them come in. Uh, but John is as friendly as it as it gets. He also I don't know if he still is, but I know he's he's worked at uh, uh, Brown Stadium. What the hell is it? First Energy. He's, he he works there too in the press. I'm glad you clarified. They they needed the plug since they just filed for bankruptcy. Uh, yeah, that's why I wasn't sure whether or not it was still was First Energy. Uh, but any anyhow, John will uh, occasionally collect food from press dining. Uh, often cookies. And occasionally the entree, he will collect them. Um, And sometimes he will put them in a plastic bag uh, and leave them, leave leave them in the, it's deep enough into the podcast, right? That no one's listening anymore. Um, He will leave the, the food items in the back of the press box for, for us. He'll do it as a favor. And it shows you how nice of a guy that John is that he's constantly thinking of others. And even though we don't want this stuff. So sometimes he'll deliver you like a brownie right to where you're sitting. He said, hey, I, I grabbed this for you. Here you go. All right, Zach, enjoy. And so there was a time where, as you remember, he had a bag full of chicken breast, the grilled chicken breast that they serve. And it was in the back and it was late at night and it was still sitting back there. I don't know if it was meant for us, but it had been sitting out for probably a good seven hours. And I don't know what happened to it as they were making it. And I was not going to eat that. No one else was going to eat that. And we did contemplate, you know, having a little bit of a scavenger hunt with that thing. And we did eventually decide that that probably wasn't the smart thing to do, but there are adventures with, with the the press dining that I think need to be told, have to be told. And if we do them in such a way that we don't get anybody in trouble, I think our fan base would be happier for it in the long run. Okay. So the listeners are going to be confused, but we can, we can say that we played hide and seek with the, the bag of chicken, (laughs) right? Like it was, it was places um... in the press box (laughs) where people did not expect to stumble. Yeah. 
okay. Yeah, it was, you know, a little, you know, you, like a little something you might see on The Office. It's just between like four or five of us where we were hiding the bag of chicken on people's chairs or in their computer bags or behind a television or something where, you know, you, you might not expect to find a bag of chicken. Is it possible that the last place we left it, it is still there? A couple of years we'll later. Find, on opening day, uh, the person sitting in section 320, row V, seat 32, enjoy <laughs> that bag of chicken, courtesy of the tribe scribes in 2016. Any parting words for our listeners this week? <laughs> no. Um, I, baseball's amazing. Like, I can't get over the Encarnacion home run. I, it, it took me until last night at, I don't know what time. It, you were still writing at like four in the morning, but it took me a long, like, I, it didn't dawn on me. When the Indian signed Encarnacion, I met his dad last, was like a year ago. And, was talking to him about his past and that he was a, a track star. And it, so it, I had completely forgotten about that. And just the irony that <laughs> this guy who's huffing and puffing around the bases and hopes he never has to do that again. His dad is in the Dominican athletic hall of fame for the, for running track and being in the decathlon. It's just that, that story is just, it's too funny. And so baseball just time and time again, proving that you never know what you're going to see and the storylines and narratives that can come out of these games and these moments are just sometimes unbelievable. Did that break the land speed record, speed record for fastest parrot time around the bases? He didn't do um, it. He I needed know. his arms. Uh, I don't think, I mean, he, he barely made it there being in at a normal aerodynamic position i can't imagine what would happen if the air would have been up against him as he raised his right arm i i don't know if he would have made it uh but i'm happy we did to the end of this podcast because obviously we're limping to the finish line just like he did you can listen to apple Podcasts on anchor overcast pocket cast and we're working on like five million other ways you can find the podcast but of course you can find all the links over at theathletic.com slash cleveland or theathletic.com slash indians if you only want tribe stuff because i mean let's be honest what else could you want if you subscribe to the athletic browns 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 um but you can find the podcast there and be sure to subscribe, leave us reviews and rate us and let us know what you like, what you don't like. I don't think that would be a very long list, but just tell us how awesome we are and we do appreciate it. And you can always just search the Selby is Godcast or follow us on Twitter at TJ Zuby and Zach Meisel. Until next week, enjoy that random bag of chicken. Whoever finds that at the ballpark, we're out of here. See ya. <laughs>